I'm a booger. I'm a booger booger. I'm a booger. I'm a booger 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 booger. Thank you for downloading this episode of I'm a Booker Booker, a novel podcast about books and the people who write them. Cabin fever has started to set in as we spill over into the second half of the lockdown. Every day is Groundhog Day. You thought this would be the opportunity to write the great South African novel, but instead you spend hours reading COVID-19 worst-case scenarios, taking your temperature every seven minutes, and fixating on the rising number of worldwide infections. We're traveling into the heart of the lockdown to bring you I'm a Booker Booker, The Quarantine Chronicles, a short and sweet distraction from the pandemic, because what you need to do right now is relax, stay at home, and avoid the coronavirus like the plague. Author's lockdown. T minus eight. Don't let Karen Dolly fool you. The woman with the goofiest grin and the wackiest sense of humor in South African journalism has struck fear into the heart of some of the toughest gangsters who roam the underworld. Karen is the author of the hard-hitting book, The Enforcers, Inside Cape Town's Deadly Nightclub Battles. The Enforcers exposes the war playing out in the grubby underbelly of the mother city to dominate the security trade. The book is so good because Karen did something that is becoming increasingly rare. She did proper boots-on-the-ground journalism. Welcome to I'm a Booker Booker, Karen. Can you please read us an extract from The Enforcers? Thank you, Jonathan. Indeed. Okay. A week later, the underworld heat was turned up another notch. On the evening of the 9th of April, 2017, a group of security guards and bouncers gathered outside a McDonald's fast food outlet in the suburb of Seapoint. They were believed to have been preparing to disrupt nightclubs, which cops did not identify by name in the city center. Hawks, crime intelligence unit, and other officers got wind of this and went to the McDonald's, where they discovered an, an abandoned vehicle a black Jeep without registration plates with the doors left open. On the back seat were two firearms as well as vehicle registration plates. A cell phone was also found, allegedly belonging to one Matthew Broderick Briet. Briet therefore became a person of interest to the Hawks. Just hours later, very early on the 10th of April, at the location on the very opposite side of the Cape Town Metropole, in the vicinity of Goodwood, something similar was happening. Police officers got wind that a large group of men, who they suspected had links to the so-called Liftman Group, was preparing to attack clubs in Cape Town city centre where the rival Modak Group was providing security. It was very early on a Monday, so the city centre wasn't particularly busy, but a potential attack still meant that several innocent people stood in harm's way. Police officers intercepted the group, which, in, which included 63 people allegedly aligned to Cape Town's notorious gangs at a McDonald's near Mall in Goodwood. Officers questioned members of this group before releasing them. According to several sources, this grouping had been comprised mainly of members of the 27s gang. Based on the events of the evening of 9 April and early morning of the 10th of April, it appeared the police had thwarted a pincer-type attack by two groupings that had planned to close in on clubs in the city centre, allegedly serviced by MODAC's security operations. If police were to be believed, the heart of Cape Town had again become a bullseye seen through an underworld scope. 
Karen, your book, which was a culmination of years of research while you were in the newsroom trenches, shows that organized crime has spread to every nook and cranny in society. There's collusion between bent cops and dirty politicians, and the kingpins behind these criminal enterprises often pose as legitimate businessmen. Have we lost the war on organized crime? I would say we have a grip on organized crime, but no will to use that grip and squeeze it out. So the will, I think, is partially there, but not there strongly enough. Investigating and exposing these shady characters is dangerous. Can you tell us about some of the death threats that you've received while doing this investigation? Um, Absolutely. I can definitely say that I felt like I was living off Gaviscon for a long time while a reporter and covering some of these incidents. Um, The first one happened in May 2017. I received information that a a suspected underworld figure was going to be at a hotel with a top-ranking official. I wasn't told who this official was. I then ended up going to the hotel against my gut feel. I didn't think it was the best idea. Be that as it may, I went. And I thought I took clandestine photographs of the suspect and a second man who was with them. It turns out that there were people watching me, watching these suspects, and they took photos of me. And when I emailed the suspect to ask, could you please explain what you were doing with this individual, who turned out to be the Northern Capes Police Commissioner at the time, this individual or this person sent an email back saying, we have eyes everywhere with a photograph of me at the hotel that evening. So that that was what seemed like an intimidation tactic. The person who sent the photograph, Mr. Modak, apologized and said that wasn't the intention. He didn't mean to come across as being or as intimidating me. And then the second incident was later in 2017. I was covering a massive civil court case, which led to a lot of allegations against and amongst police officers being made. And yeah, it also turned out that police or firearms meant to be kept by the police, safeguarded by police or being kept in their custody were being channeled back to gangsters. And court documents, I accessed court documents, which became available for the first time. And it had incredibly rich detail about South Africa's biggest ever gun smuggling shame, how firearms meant to be with police were actually being used in murders across Cape Town, etc. And I wrote several articles. These were published and they were published in quick succession. And then one afternoon on the day that the articles were being published, I received an SMS saying, Ms. Dolly, my surname was spelled incorrectly. Those guns are going to be used on your head, something along the lines at your mother's house on your dog. So, yeah, there have been a few sinister incidents and then some less obvious, lots of weird messages, lots of weird phone calls. But the intimidation hasn't stopped you. Um, It didn't at the time. Perhaps it was naivety or perhaps it was just because I was sort of in a sort of the flow of doing my job. But the second, the actual death threat I received via SMS really upset me and that really pushed me to work much harder because it showed me that I was onto something that someone out there really doesn't want me to be looking into. And that really gave me a lot of momentum to carry on. 
has there been any response from Mr. Modak after the book was published? He didn't seem phased by the book. I am aware that he did buy or get hold of several copies. So I suppose that his, he maybe sees it as favorable. I'm not quite sure. Who's going to play you in the movie? Oh, <laughs> wow, Jonathan, I have not thought that far. I would like Middle Street, although it may not be congruent with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good question. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> what are you missing from this lockdown? Eh, <laughs> the outside, being able to see the sky, free will, really. Um, in terms of work, I'm not really missing anything. I'm just sort of waiting to see how traditional slash conventional smuggling routes, et cetera, transform to fit what's happening now. So, for example, will figures that are known to smuggle mandrax switch over to alcohol as a quick solution because they may not be able to distribute their mandrax as easily? Or will they continue smuggling mandrax but use police officers who are allowed to go out or be out there. Yeah, that's more where my thinking is at the moment. <laughs> so my thinking was a much more frivolous, not <laughs> frivolous, but much, uh, in fact, probably more important. I thought you were going to say halloumi um, because you, you, you're not with your beloved cat. Because I know that uh, you're in Cape Town and halloumi is in Joburg. But I wanted to tell you my favorite joke. What did the chi say when it looked in the mirror? Hello, me. Hello, me. Hello, me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> After being publicly shamed as a cat parent, you have redeemed yourself fully. <laughs> I actually can't I, mean, I, 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 I know Halumi went missing and you were devastated. But when I saw your Facebook post about it, my first thought was well, maybe this was a, an act of somebody who was trying to kind of intimidate you. Um, not this time around. I think the intimidation is touch wood, and I'm literally touching wood, is a thing of the past. Um, I just mentioned to you before we started chatting officially that Lumi did go missing in the past, um, about a year or two ago, and that seemed weirder because of where he was found. The person that found him didn't want me to mention where he was found because it had indirect links to the underworld. So yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sure. And this, my cat just became a frequent plubber. We don't know. We'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> he could have just had a night out. <laughs> <laughs> what has being in lockdown taught you about yourself? That I'm very, <laughs> I'm a nerd when it comes to my work. Number one. Number two. I should not bake so much. <laughs> Number three, if I gave up work I do, I would definitely go into baking. <laughs> yeah. And now, sound effects, Rorschach test. That sound or choir or hymn-ish sound makes me feel very anxious for some reason. <laughs> it's like the sound of judgment. <laughs> That's an easy one. That's a Lumi. <laughs> <laughs>
That sounds like a newsroom <laughs> or oh, the inside of my head when I'm trying to think out a storyline. There's just so many thoughts at once and going on very fast, very quickly. <laughs> that is beautiful. And it sounds like, I don't know if you recall those golden books. There were those sort of thin hardcover fairy tale books. And I'm not sure if this is my imagination or an actual memory, but if there was a sound related to those books, that was the sound. That was great. Thank you, Karen. Keep well and stay healthy. Thanks, you too. Look after yourself. See you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to I'm a Booker Booker, the Quarantine Chronicles, live from the lockdown. You can subscribe to I'm a Booker Booker on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a Booker Booker is produced by Jonathan Anser and Dan Dews and brought to you by Books Live in collaboration with Multimedia Live. Authors who would like to be featured, email jonathan.anser at gmail.com. I'm a Booker Booker. I'm a Booker.